3: Welcome to CEO Coach. I'm Ian Kennedy, president of Outlines Venture Group, general manager at the Sibylla Masters Fund, and author of Global Search Engine Marketing. I'm here with Jillian Music, my partner at Outlines and the Sibylla Masters Fund. Jillian is the co-founder of both Moz and Bread Approved, a global speaker and contributing author to numerous books and publications on the subject of gender lens investing. Together we are serial entrepreneurs helping online companies launch, grow, pivot, and thrive. You'll find out more at outlinesventure.com. Hi Jillian, what's on your mind today?
0: Hi, Anne. I'm excited to hear that we're including our credentials at the Sibilla Masters Fund on our introductions here at CEO Coach. So in January you know, of 2018, we announced our intention to launch that fund, and now in 2019, a year after wrestling with who, what, and how we want that fund to look, and with whom, and how, and what we wish to engage with this fund, and of course, wrangling those uh, documents into order, we're now raising that fund. So over the past year, I think it's been pretty exciting to see how many more women are also raising funds that are chartered to source, fund, and support women in entrepreneurship all worldwide. So let's turn to the subject today though. I'd like to discuss the differences between management and leadership from a metrics perspective.
3: Now there's an interesting idea. Metrics seem to be all about management, right? but leadership sets the metrics to be trapped by the, tracked
0: by the company teams. So I suppose that's a good place to start. Uh, precisely. Now, I know this will come as no surprise to you or our listeners that once again, my muse for this subject was Mark Schuster. He's a brilliant author sub- on the subject of launching, growing, and managing tech businesses from an investor's viewpoint. A few months ago, I read a Twitter stream by Mark, really not even an article, just a stream of tweets that addressed the differences between vanity metrics and what leadership should really be thinking about as they grow their companies. So I'd like to kind of share and unwrap the man. Uh, I think the wisdom would be uh, worth a good listen from our own followers here. I agree wholeheartedly,
3: so let's get started. The first thing Mark tweeted was this. One, from a vantage point of being able to see hundreds of companies, good and bad, I have some advice for founders, he said. Get to know and love gross margin. Revenue doesn't pay your bills, gross margin does.
0: Absolutely. Now, before we continue, though, listeners, you can follow Mark Suster, that's S-U-S-T-E-R, and Twitter at at M-S-U-S-T-E-R. Again, it's Mark Suster, and it's M-S-U-S-T-E-R. T-E-R on Twitter. Okay, so gross revenue versus gross margin. This one's pretty clear and simple. Your managers will often report to you on things like the increases in gross revenue. Marketing managers will report on gross revenue increases earned from marketing campaigns. Engineering will tell you how many labor hours have been expended or saved on things they've built, modules they support, and much more. Your job is to look at the broad brushstroke numbers across all your departments, even when you're a department of one or a company of two or three, and to see the number that results from subtracting your real expense costs from your gross revenue. Now, this does not include things like taxes and depreciation and amortization.
3: But it does include rent, utilities such as phones, housing costs, and other overhead costs. If your company is successful, you will reach points of inflection at which your business growth increases rapidly. A good thing. You will also reach points at which you can no longer serve the growing customer base with the staff and equipment and services you have. You will need to rent or purchase a larger office, get more and faster computers, increasing your expenses for hosting, and more. Therefore, your gross margin at, say, serving 10,000 customers may be 60%, and your gross margin for serving 11,000 customers may fall by 20%, because all these expenses must be made in order to serve that over-the-top
0: 1,000 new customers. Exactly. Uh, So generally, the numbers are much larger. But as a leader, you need insights into when those expenses are going to happen. It will inform you as to whether to raise capital or when to seek out other methods of scaling while serving your customers well. It's really that simple. Take the leadership point of view.
3: Well said. In sum, Mark's counsel is to look at financial numbers that inform your strategy. Leaders don't manage after the fact. As Mark noted in his second tweet of this stream, founders obsess with revenue as a vanity metric. Some even grow bad revenue just to show growth. As a founder, I'd like I'd take healthier revenue, higher gross margin, which means
0: faster paybacks any day of the week. Can't agree more. So, the second bit of advice that Mark gives in this stream uh, reads as follows. Stop obsessing about LTV or versus, excuse me, over CAC, again, LTV over CAC ratios. Payback periods on customer acquisition are way more important to you in the near term. Get paybacks wrong and you're out of business. Oh, ouch, but let's start with some
3: definitions. LTC means lifetime value of a customer. CAC means cost per acquisition of a customer. You know, a quick Google search provides this instruction on what the ratio should be. An ideal LTV to CAC ratio should be three to one. That's that old value of threes, of tripling something. Um, The value of a customer should be three times more than the cost of acquiring them. If the ratio is close, say one to one, you are spending too much for those customers. If it's five to one, you are spending too little.
0: In fact, you are probably missing out on business. So interestingly, Mark might not agree here. He notes that, and I quote, LTV to CAC is to impress investors. Ultimately, yeah, it matters a great deal. But in the short term, you know that LTV is based on optimistic future assumptions and payback periods on acquisitions are based on flying into a brick wall if you get them wrong. So further, I think his advice is rather sage. Unless you're scaling rapidly, don't hire staff too quickly. More people aren't the answer if your core business isn't already productive higher when it feels like you're bursting at the seams and missing a critical skill on an existing team, or you figured out how to scale your growth.
3: Again, I see that we and Mark are consistent in our advice here. As a manager, you need to track all these numbers and report on them. It's how you know where you are and can compare them to where you were. Month over month and year over year, comparison of the cost per acquisition of customers is a very solid indication of whether a company is scaling, which, another definition here, means serving an increasing number of customers at a declining cost per customer. This is why Mark pointed out that in the long run, these numbers are important. We're just counseling that you act like a leader not a manager, when deciding what the numbers mean to you. I would
0: totally agree. So uh, ever onward. Um, Mark's next call for leadership versus management is about raising capital. You know, I recently met with one of our portfolio company leaders, and just last week, actually, who was concerned that his co-founder, somebody who managed the marketing and the messaging for the company, and even made things like the pitch decks, you know, was agitated about the constant financial strain. It affected this co-founder's ability to concentrate on what needed to be done. So this marketing co-founder was going off half-cocked in all kinds of things. He was actually constantly changing this marketing messaging, not just to customers or potential customers, but changing it on the website, redefining what they sold in different ways, um, in email communications and more. I mean, it's was really just going off the deep end there. And it was all because of fear. This founding leader needed to learn to take the reins and to hold a hard line on being the last line of approval for strategic messaging. Now, that kind of sounds like managing or even micromanaging to say, no, I have to review this before it goes live. It isn't really quite that. There are times when you have to pull that rein in hard, but what the leader really needed to do, the CEO needed to do, was to say, no, the line of the core of what we do lies with me. I'm going to hold that. I will take an advice, but I'm going to hold it. So. There's a bit more to it, uh, but for this purpose, it's sufficient to say that leaders hold a steady line in the face of the uncertainties of things like capital, including when to raise, how much to raise, how to message investors and more. Managers are not often equipped to hold the keel steady in the very rough waters of a financial startup. And on that wonderful,
3: metaphor uh we need to take a break um after our break we'll talk more about leadership versus management this is ceo coach and we'll be right back
2: more on how to get your business on the web with ceo coach after this you are now tuned in to the world's largest online radio podcast network for internet marketers looking to dominate the B2B marketplace. WebmasterRadio.fm. WebmasterRadio.fm is home to some of the most respected authorities in all aspects of internet marketing.
4: Maria Retan, Larry Weber, it's Tim Ash, James and Arlene Martell, Ross Dunn, John Carcutt, Shahab Zagari,
3: Peggy Ann Salt, Bennett Kelly, Jillian Music and Kennedy.
2: SEO, to affiliate marketing, to social media, e-commerce, mobile marketing, and so much more. Our hosts travel to all stretches of the world and speak to the impact players that are affecting our industry.
3: Please join me in welcoming Andrew Hickford.
2: Pleased to have Jim Lenzone. Please welcome Ariana Huffington. Please welcome Jason Calcanis. On air, on demand, and available on every mobile device that you can imagine. We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on webmasterradio.fm.
3: Welcome back to CEO Coach. We're talking today about leadership versus management with some tips from some tweets by Mark Suster. In the first seg- segment, we talked about gross margins and other ways of looking at money, customer acquisition costs versus lifetime value, things like that. Now, you might be asking, what else can we say about money? Well, one of the first things that occurs to me about money is raising capital. So, in the next tweet, Mark said, raising capital at very high prices helps avoid short-term dilution. But if you raise it too high a price, you make it harder to raise the next round. Be sure you can grow into your valuation by your next fundraising or your last raise could become existential or extremely dilutive. Let's unpack that,
0: Jillian. Absolutely, it is a delicate balancing act. What he means is that if you set your pre-money valuation at say, two million bucks, And in truth, your company really can't sustain that today, but it's forward thinking and you can talk your angels into it today and that's great. The question is, can you hit at least, say three or four or five million next round? Now that's very early stage stuff. How about if you're raising at a 10 million round today, but really you're kind of not more than six? Can you really get to 10 or 15 or whatever to get to your next round? Certainly you don't want a down round at any time. You don't even want it to be difficult to get to your next valuation, right? And your valuation is not equal to what you are post-valued at today, right? Pre valuation money is the value of your company before you raise capital. Post valuation money is your pre money valuation plus whatever you raised. So let's say you took in five million bucks at $15 million pre. That means you're now $20 million already. Now, next raise, uh, you better be somewhere around 40 or 50 to make this seriously worthwhile. You don't want to raise it 22 million or 25 million. This is insufficient. That's what he's saying. It's a delicate balancing act. As a leader, you should be asking your managers, your colleagues, your advisor, and your pros for advice. But you also have to settle on one person to make that final decision on when to raise capital, how much to raise, and under what terms. This is not easy stuff. You got a lot of stuff to balance, a lot of numbers to look at, and a lot of different aspects of your business to consider. You don't shirk this leadership responsibility. If you don't think of this as your decision and yours alone, you will not give it the time and deliberation it requires for you to make a serious strategic decision and then stick to your guns on it, until, of course, and unless the landscape in which you operate changes, right? So you don't be an ass about it, but you be a leader, not a manager, when it comes to capital raises.
3: Yes, this certainly is a Lego you do not give away. This bears your full and long-term silent, alone-time attention. When all the data is in, you make this decision and then revisit it, reviewing all your financial data, the venture capital markets, and your competitive landscape to make your decisions.
0: Absolutely, Leadership can be lonely, as in making those decisions about capital raises. It can also be an emotionally tough time as well. Mark addresses this one in his next Twitter stream. He said, if you know an employee is a negative energy in the office, don't delay parting ways. Negative employees affect others like a disease, and you can't ever turn them around. There is never a perfect time, except now.
3: This comes up with our
0: portfolio companies surprisingly frequently. It does. But in truth, it's not so surprising if you look at the matter from that 30,000-foot level instead of looking at it from the ground. Again, it's about taking the leadership view, not the managerial view. So here's what I mean. If you're a manager, you're tasked with making every employee or team member in your team the best they can possibly be. When one or more members begins to slip, not pulling their weight, being negative, becoming in subway, suboptimal, or less than the wonderful person you hired for the job, you look at how you can improve them, the situation, and so on, and rightly so. We don't toss people out simply because they're having a tough time, right? We find the best seat on the bus for them, okay? But that's not what Mark's talking about.
3: That's right. Mark is talking about having made a mistake.
0: Yes, but he's also talking about a change in the company. A personnel fit, this company personnel fit is a critical piece. So sometimes we do make mistakes and we simply hire the wrong person. I think I've done that, I think you've done it and so many have, it's fine but it's incumbent on us to let them go then so they can find a better fit in another company and our company can proceed in a healthy manner. But that actually doesn't happen so very often. So why is it that we hear so often about this most difficult task of letting people go? I'll tell you, in my experience, and as I watch, it's the experience of almost all of our portfolio companies as well, As the company grows, the nature of the human interaction with the company changes. At the beginning, it's us against the world with two or just a few people banded together to build something amazing with no physical means of support. Everything but energy and camaraderie is in short supply. If the team is successful, The company grows in both stature and the number of team members. And as the team grows to a size that becomes too large to sit at table altogether, the dynamics change. And some of your earliest team members, and often all of them, will want to move on to another very early stage startup. That's the time and a place of a company where their heart sings, but parting is often such sweet sorrow. So as a manager, you see the changes in this behavior and engagement as failure. As a leader, you can fly over that situation, that 30,000-foot level. You can recognize it for what it is and help your managers to see that this is a normal part of growth and success. If you help team members who want to move on and don't know why, right, to see why they want to and help that parting to be a positive event for all concerned, you'll be in a better position you can share your vision and others will establish processes to optimize that recurring event
3: and speaking of recurring events we need to take another break now for our sponsors but we're going to come back with more on leadership uh, for your startup uh, versus managing your startup and what leaders need to keep in mind in order to lead their startups Forward. So this is CEO Coach, and we'll be right back.
2: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email brasco at wmr.fm and get your message delivered now. rankings. Let top SEOs give you peace of mind. topseos.com, the independent authority on search vendors. We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on webmasterradio.fm.
3: Welcome back to CEO Coach. We have been talking today about metrics from the viewpoint of leadership versus management, those perspectives. And next up is a tip about time management. I really like this one because it speaks to preserving your personal resources for what is important. It's that concept of which Legos to give away and which not to. Here is a whole cluster of Legos you can give away right now. Don't spend undue time advising other people's startups until your business is successful, scaling, and stable. Founder focus is the single most important resource that needs to be spent wisely.
0: Oh, truer words were never said. So. I think that kind of needs absolutely no amplification. Tend to the home fire first. You can't give away what you don't have, and right now, your company needs every minute you can give it. So while it feels good to help others, limit your advisory time to chatting with your colleagues and asking as much as you do advise them. That way, the balance of value is well-kept.
3: Aha! Here's some advice with which your son and co-founder at Moz, Rand Fishkin, took issue some, some issue many years ago, and I believe he still does. I'm curious as to how you feel about it now, Jillian. It is, don't spend undue time at conferences. Network and relationships are important, so some events are fine. But if you're addicted to being out of the office, that should tell you something, or at least your employees will tell you what it means. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, so i understand where he's coming from uh at the time that he wrote you know founders stay home and tend to the home fires uh rand was running around the world at many different conferences uh, actually in the united states and kind of western europe at the time um, and spreading the brand of Moz. uh he said a number of things uh said kind of commented deeply on Mark's post at the time, and he said that he would disagree. Uh, I remember that the post had a wonderful title. He said, don't be a conference whore. And Rand said, I think I am one. And I'll tell you why. It isn't only how he would spread the brand of Moz at the time, but it was also how he met the customers. It's where they gathered. And as that happened, he was able to reach those customers and talk to them deeply about where their pain points are. And that would feed him information about what to build next. Right? He would talk to them about their interactions and engagements with the uh, the product itself, the stuff we'd already launched he had the opportunity to sit quietly with the industry leaders because he was a speaker and they were a speaker he could ask them to review what he had going there so there was a great deal of advisory services not just about building his company because they were colleagues building their companies but also about the product itself what do you think how can we improve it what else does it need and what do you guys need next so In many ways, I would say that still kind of fits the bill. But it does depend on what you're building and how that uh, presents, if you will, at conferences. So, For example, if you have a consumer product, this may not be the place. You're not going to get in front of your consumers this way on a frequent basis. You'll be with your colleagues. But because the colleagues were the consumers of the products of Moz, that made a difference. Take, again, a scalpel to this job, not a hatchet. Um, And in many ways, I would agree with Mark, you'd better stay home enough that you really are leading your company. And at the same time, I would say when resources are very scarce and the voice of the company is that, uh, if you will, product leader It's a good idea for that product leader to be out there as often as possible, getting information and sharing information with the consumer base. So it it maybe speaks more to B2B than it would to B2C, that there's some glittering generalities in there. Um, But I don't necessarily agree with this as kind of a blanket statement from uh, Mark if you're building something where you can reach your end user customer and your colleagues at the highest level for advice, input, and design instruction, if you will, of what to build next, go there, whether it's a conference or some other event.
3: I think that you're absolutely right. And finally, Mark touches on communications required of leadership. He says, communicate to your board early and often. Getting through hard times requires investors who are willing to spend time, to spend internal political capital, and also be willing to go to bat for you in the tough times. So strong relationships and trust based on transparency helps
0: a great deal. I could not agree more, Anne. Um, and it's a place where I find I'm constantly challenged. Um, we are we serve on a number of boards. You and I, and I think you and I often see that CEOs don't communicate as frequently and as um, thoroughly as they should. Right. But what does cut the wheat from the chaff on successful companies is those companies that do get it done. And I always return to the same thing, the wizards and the executors. And if a company has both, this job gets done and gets done well, and it gets better over time. Um, the wizard is the idea person. The executor does get that communication completed every time. Yes, the executor talks with the wizard and the two of them get it done. And you know there may be a broader group of people reporting in and so on, but they talk not only to their board, They talk to the investors at the earliest stages, later on their boards of advisors, as well as their boards of directors. And the more and the more carefully crafted and uh, uh, in-depth communication provided, the better the support they get from all of these people around them, the boards of directors and the boards of advisors and their investors. It's amazing what you can get when you finally communicate and tell people not only what is, but what you need.
3: Absolutely. And that's it for this episode of CEO Coach. We'd like to thank our producers at Webmaster Radio for their continuing support. You can download these shows at webmasterradio.fm forward slash shows forward slash CEO dash coach. You can also download them at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other places around the web. You can find links and more on our Facebook page, which is named CEO Coach Podcast. Stop by and hit the like button so we know you were there and tell us what you'd like to hear about on CEO Coach. Thanks for joining and more about how we help companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive at outlinesventure.com. Till next time.